Such a blessing, such a blessing this week, an amazing week. Uh, I sometimes try to figure out what is my favorite week, and uh, VBS might be it. I mean, it is just, it couldn't, it couldn't uh, lift your spirit uh, anymore. It's just a fantastic uh, week, and coming together and seeing those children every morning was such a blessing. We're in our series called Welcome Holy Spirit. Uh, learning about Holy Spirit, learning how to welcome Holy Spirit. And we've been talking uh, from a couple of different directions. We've uh, talked about the who and the why of Holy Spirit. Who? Because it's so important to know that he is a person, uh, that he is not an it, he is not a thing. He is a person with personality and specific uh, ways that he uh, interacts with us. And the why of the Holy Spirit, why Holy Spirit, in a way, is like saying, why is there an ocean? It is. And from the very beginning, really before we even know anything of the word being spoken in creation, Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. So Holy Spirit's from the beginning to the end of our Bible. We, uh, we learn that uh, we are only born again by the work of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, sometimes people say, I don't know about Holy Spirit. You can't move forward. You can't be born again. You can't be a believer. Nothing happens without Holy Spirit. And now we're going to talk more about the when, the where, and the how of Holy Spirit over the next few weeks. Next few weeks are going to be really exciting. So I hope that you'll make sure and be here. Uh, We're going to talk this weekend about something that I will call the baptism. It's kind of the big deal thing. And some people, uh, when you say the baptism, they get, they lean in and some step back. <laughs> and that's the way, you know, because of the way we've taught this sometimes. And I want us to look and dig into the scripture and understand better what uh, this is all about. Um, the first mention of the baptism is actually at the beginning of, of every gospel. It's a, I'm going to read from the beginning of Mark's gospel because it's so very clear uh, as, as uh, John the baptizer is talking about it, predicting this. There's a parallel. All four gospels uh, talk about this. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. I want to read verses 4 through 11 uh, because it also talks about the baptism of, of Jesus. So let's hear the word of God, give our focus and our attention To his voice among us. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now let's stand and let's pray. God, we give thanks. We give thanks for the word. We give thanks for the the voice that you have brought into this place and for our hearts to hear. And we ask that you would teach us. You would be our teacher. You to be our rabbi and our friend, our counselor, the one who, who reveals the things that we need to know. God, show us in Jesus' name. Amen. Baptism is a water word, <laughs> not water world. That's a, a long, long movie. Uh, water word. And I say that um, as we understand it, the Greek word is baptiz, baptizo. Say that with me, baptizo. Got to get the D in there. And it means, uh, it, the first definition is to make whelmed. That's not a word we use very often unless we say I'm overwhelmed. But it means to be fully drenched or wet or saturated, immersed or washed. And so that's what this word means. It means to soak or to drench. And uh, the word's used in a number of ways and it's practiced in a variety of methods. And, you know, I thought about it. I don't know a word that has been more divisive throughout church history uh, because people have debated and they've divided over uh, where do you get wet and how do you get wet and who gets you wet and when do you get wet and how wet can you get? <laughs> and, and, and what were you thinking while you got wet in this whole baptism thing? I mean, do we sprinkle, dunk, pour or shake? I always kind of admired the traditions where they kind of shake the water out there onto the people. And uh, it reminded me a little bit of uh, early in pandemic when we were really careful about social distancing. I saw uh, a picture and it it had, uh, this is the new social distancing baptism and it was a super soaker water gun from a distance. And I, I, I don't mean to be irreverent, but I had to laugh about that. At what age does baptism take place and, and whose faith is being expressed? Is it, is it a believer baptism or is it, or can you baptize the babies and the children of believers and is their faith good enough for their children and things like this? The only one thing that we all seem to agree on is that water is involved in baptism. It's good to find something, right? And, and, and water is so important because water is a symbol. In, in the Bible, water is a symbol of, of passage, a, a, a movement. Uh, and, I, you know, several places uh, cre- at creation, uh, we see a passage out of chaos. Um, and the chaos is called the face of the waters. It's out of waters uh, into uh, an orderliness, an orderly creation. Uh, we talked about last weekend with uh, Rabbi Nicodemus how babies are born through a passage of water. We call that a water birth. Noah and his family came through a water passage of the flood. They, they went into water in the ark 
And then they came through that uh, incredible time where there was destruction all around. And they came through that. They were saved. They were preserved through all of that. You know, I remember when I was a little kid in, in the church that I grew up on. It was, it's a pretty big church. And I looked at the ceiling a lot. Anybody look at the ceiling when you're a little kid? Yeah. Just ceilings are kind of cool. The church I grew up in, it had these huge beams up there. And one time I asked, why do we have these huge beams up there? And I was told it's made to look like an ark. And many churches are built that way, at least in the time that I was growing up. You would, and maybe you grew up in a church that had that sense. We're together. Church, we're called out of the world into an ark. We're to go through and make a passageway to salvation. And that's what God is doing. We remember that the Israelites escaped uh, the bondage of Egypt through a water passage uh, through the Red Sea. And, and the Lord uh, then closed the sea behind them and destroyed their enemies. And then, and then they entered into the Promised Land 40 years later through a water passage of the Jordan River. We often think just about the Red Sea. But there's a, a water passage coming out of slavery. And then you're just in the desert. How many of you know the desert isn't home? We're not home yet. The promised land, they go all around. And then finally, after 40 years, it's another water passage uh, for them to, to come into the promised land. And in each case, as they move through water, water marks the end of an old life and the beginning of a new life. That's what, that's what we need to take hold of when we think about baptism. Water is this symbol uh, that divides your old life and your new life. We're going to celebrate baptism uh, on Monday, uh, and, and, and we need to think about it that way. Those being baptized are setting behind them an old life and being drawn into a new life. And so water marks a passage from, from death into life, and, and water baptism then also identifies us as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus. Water baptism is really the central expression of faith and practice. It, it says we are a believer. And it's a big deal. Sometimes we don't think of it as such a big deal. But I've, I've worked with people uh, from other countries. Uh, we had a young man who was baptized through our church who was from Saudi Arabia. It was huge. It meant literally saying goodbye to everything that was behind him. Uh, to, you know, everything, family, all connections, all support to be baptized was leaving a life behind for the life that Christ had for him. So I want to talk, first of all, a little bit about five types of baptism that we find in the Bible. And the first is in Judaism, uh, there's a practice of purification uh, and it's called Tevela. Say that with me, Tevela. And it sounds like Tevia, but it's not, okay? But say Tevila, Tevila. And Tevila, it means immersion. It's the same word. It's a Hebrew word for baptize. Uh, and it started uh, being practiced regularly about 100 years before Jesus. And it's a self-immersion um, for purification or conversion, either way. If you converted to Judaism, you would go and you would, uh, you would go through a, a Tevila ceremony and, and but you it's something you did uh, to yourself uh, for purification 
uh, in, in the event that you had come in contact with something or for some reason you were ritually unclean, then you would uh, go to a mikvah, and that's the, that's the place, that's the baptismal, and that just means a collection of water. It had to be living water. It had to be natural water. You can't just have some water that was hanging around. It uh, oftentimes, you know, had to come from a spring or a river or something like that. And so the mikvah bath, uh, it was required uh, regularly, monthly for women and then for men if they came into contact with something unclean or they were being converted. The second uh, thing we find in the Bible is what I just read about. The baptism of John is a baptism of repentance. It, it marked a time where a person was saying, I'm confessing my sin and I'm turning away from my sin. And I'm turning toward God. And I want a marker in my life. I want a a washing in my life that will separate that. And so uh, we we hear about John the baptizer. He was the cousin uh, or relative of Jesus. Sometimes people say, why do you call him John the baptizer and not John the Baptist? I just want to be clear. Because I've met people that thought that John the Baptist was part of a denomination. And that's not why he's called Baptist, all right? Or that that was his last name. You know, his last name would have been Bar Zechariah or something like that. Um, But all four Gospels tell us about John baptizing, the baptizer coming. And John was at the Jordan River immersing those who came. I mean, there were crowds and crowds. And it was bothering the religious people. They came and they watched to see what's going on. He's gathering these crowds. We haven't seen anything like this. And some were even saying, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe this is the guy. Uh, but then he gives us that message. No, I'm not the guy. I'm pointing toward the guy and he's coming soon. Um, a third baptism is a baptism in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. This may be very similar, but, but it, it's a bit different. And it's in the book of Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 38. After the Pentecost event, I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. But after the Pentecost event, uh, the people just were overwhelmed. And he said, what should we do? <laughs> what a great thing for, for just a whole crowd to say, what should we do? And Peter said to them, he said, repent. You need to return, turn around. You need to confess your sin and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a very powerful, we see kind of this this, uh, connection between Jesus and Holy Spirit in in that moment. But it's a different kind of baptism. And then the fourth is a baptism that's part of making disciples of Jesus. We see it in uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Uh, Jesus says, near the end of his ministry, or before he ascends actually, Uh, He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Why don't we read it out loud together? Okay. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a great commission, and it involves baptizing. And it's interesting because it says baptizing them and teaching them. So are we supposed to baptize and then teach or teach and then baptize? I think it all goes together. 
uh, but it's an important part of how we make disciples. And then the fifth one is what we're talking about uh, in this passage of Scripture, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So John, the baptizer, he says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. That's one kind of baptism. Repentance, that's one kind of baptism. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the things we really want to observe is that this is a baptism by Jesus. He will baptize you. And this is a baptism with the Holy Spirit to soak or drench you with the Holy Spirit. And it's not a water baptism. Uh, We don't know of any place in the Bible where Jesus baptized with water, any person. So, and I think it's really wise because some would be saying, well, our little group, we had baptism from Jesus himself, you know, because that's how we religious people get. So all of the New Testament baptisms are different from the Tevila, the Jewish baptism. And in this way, I already mentioned it, Tevila is a self-immersion, but baptism requires a baptizer. Someone baptizes you. You cannot baptize yourself. One cannot baptize themselves. I remember I talked to a guy one time and he said, he said, I've been baptized. I baptized myself. How did that work for you? I went out in the ocean and I baptized myself. And I'm sure that was meaningful and thoughtful for him. But according to scripture, that's not the way baptism works in New Testament. You are baptized by someone. You're baptized by another who represents Jesus and the body of Christ. So it's a body of Christ thing. I have baptized people uh, with only a few, like maybe one or two other people uh, in a pool or something like that. But really, baptism is a, it's a community thing. It's where you stand before the community and say, I am declaring my faith. Uh, and, it, you know, for the kid from Saudi Arabia, it was huge. I am, I, am, I am putting and renouncing everything that my life was so that I can stand for Jesus. It was a massive cost to him. And, and for us to stand before the body, to stand before the fellowship of Christ. And actually, we use the words every time for years and years. We've said, uh, we've said the name and we've said, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because it's the body of Christ and Christ himself who is baptizing you. So water baptism is this really important symbol of death and resurrection. In Christian baptism, we identify in the Holy Spirit with the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's a couple of passages that are so powerful. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's not this little casual thing. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so we often talk about this when we do baptisms. We say that this is an image, it's a symbol. And um, in Tevila, in in a Jewish baptism, you go forward and actually someone watches, but they watch with a towel because of modesty. A woman will be in with a woman, and then they watch to make sure you go every, every hair, every bit of you goes under the water, and then they say the word kosher. 
It's not kosher. It's not correct unless you go, you're completely immersed. And so this is a, an, an immersion that's different. And it's one that has a parallel in, in Jesus dying and going down, going uh, under. And sometimes I explain that and I say, now, just so you understand that, well, I'm gonna, you're going to go down and I'm going to pray for a little while, you know. <laughs> Pastor Jeff's always a bit of a joker. I, not, no more than maybe two or three minutes, occasionally four minutes. Of course, I don't do that. We come up right away. But I've gotten some, some kind of terrified looks <laughs> when I said that. No, 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 no. Calm down. Uh, Colossians 2 says it a little differently. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This, this is the baptism that we participate in. So what is this baptism with the Holy Spirit? And it's interesting because we most often will use the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's very, very common. People say, well, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This is so common, that phrase. And I didn't realize it until this week. That phrase does not appear in Scripture anywhere. Wow, it's quiet. Baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't appear in Scripture. The baptism is always with the Holy Spirit. And there's a difference. Holy, I, I could say it this way. Holy Spirit isn't baptizing me. Of course he is, because Holy Spirit and Jesus are the same. Jesus is baptizing you, immersing you, drenching you with Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So the baptism is by Jesus with the Holy Spirit. He will whelm you. He will immerse you with Holy Spirit. And it was his promise after the resurrection and before the ascension, Jesus predicted this outpouring that would come. Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. It's a promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Remember, he said, I and the Father are one. But it's a promise of the Father. We've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all over the place in here. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is during that period of 50 days between Easter and Pentecost. Well, what, what is this about? The purpose of the baptism is power. And Jesus makes that clear in verse 8. A couple of verses later. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there are these circles of outreach that come. And the interesting word that's in here is the word has come upon you. Because this, this really speaks of the baptism, this immersion, this drenching. The Greek word is epikomai. Say that with me, epikomai. Sounds like a cough medicine or something, but epikomai. And it means to supervene, to arrive, to influence, or attack. So Holy Spirit, come, come and it does. I mean, we, we see it when we get to that part in the scripture, comes upon them. It's Acts chapter 2. I, I think of that, that the Holy Spirit will attack you. <laughs> 
In a good way, yes. <laughs> the, the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And so it, this is 50 days after the Passover, and, and, then, and that's after the celebration of Easter. Um, and suddenly, I love the way that this is described. I just love it every time um, because it's so uncertain. You know, if you want to know something's real, just listen carefully. And if it's too perfect, it may not be. But this is a description. Suddenly there was, came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It didn't say that there was any wind. It just said there's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And the wind sound filled the entire house that they were in, where they were sitting. Probably, most probably the upper room. But it may have been the area on the southern steps of the temple. They may have been gathered there. There were about 120 of them. And there appeared something like tongues of fire that divided. I mean, it's just amazing. Something like, they couldn't even describe it. Like, it's like people's heads, there's something glow. I don't know. This was like nothing we had ever seen and came and rested on them. And, and it reminds us that the baptism is difficult to describe. But the one thing we know is they were filled. It says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptism with the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit are, are very much related. We're going to talk next weekend about filled with the Holy Spirit. But they began, these, these things started happening. They began to speak in other languages. And the word describes known languages, but unknown to them. Be like if I started speaking, uh, if I started speaking some Russian. There you go. I don't know Russian. I know the tiny, tiny Russian. I was riding in an Uber the other day, and uh, and the uh, and the GPS was talking in Chinese, and I, I thought I know nothing that <laughs> of that. So it was very, very interesting. But they began to speak in other languages, known languages, but unknown to them. And then people heard them in their languages, be like me speaking in in uh, Chinese, and then, and then the person is hearing, saying, oh, oh, and they're understanding what I'm saying. Fifteen languages were heard, and, and the people were permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit moved in, um, and the church began on that day. We call it the birthday of the church. It was an historic moment, but it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time event. We actually see it happening uh, a couple of more times in different settings in the book of Acts. So the baptism with the Holy Spirit seems to be a one-time event in the life of a believer. It seems to be something that God does. Why would he need to do it more? The filling of the Holy Spirit is definitely a repetitive and constant activity of the Holy Spirit and, and our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at that next weekend. But these are the two operational activities that fuel us as believers. This is going to the fuel station. And, uh, and, and so we want to understand all that we can about this. This wasn't the first time that the disciples received the Holy Spirit. You might remember that in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room. And Jesus said, peace be with you. Must have been they were a little spooked. Um, As the Father has sent me, I, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. I love the way that Pastor Ann told this uh, a few weeks ago. Is it, or is it? <laughs> and I don't think he was hyperventilating, but 
but he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, they did. They had to. If Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit upon you, you receive it. And so they already had received the Holy Spirit. So we want to think about that. Now, how is this different? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 72 to heal the sick and cast out demons. They could not have done that without the power of the Holy Spirit in them. They had to have Holy Spirit. So what was this thing that was happening in Acts chapter 2? Did they not have the Holy Spirit before this? That's simply not possible. Um, And here is my conclusion. I've shared this with you some. If you are saved, born again, operating in the power of the Spirit... You have Holy Spirit, even if you're unaware of him, or or even if you need more, or or at least more of an experience of Holy Spirit, or more of the power. So what is the difference here? They experienced a fullness of the Holy Spirit that they had never experienced before, and received power to give witness. It's an amazing day. More than 3,000 people repented and were baptized on the day of Pentecost. I've tried to imagine that. If they said, Pastor Jeff, we, here's the list for the baptismals, okay? And it's a scroll, I mean, with a 3,000 names. Now, I've baptized a lot of people at one time before. But 3,000 is totally overwhelming. And it was actually scoffed at for years. People said, oh, it's just an exaggeration. You know, it's a Bible exaggeration. It's, that's not really true. Where would you baptize 3,000 people? I mean, how could that ever happen? Then they started digging. These guys, the archaeologists. Archaeologists started digging and, and they have uncovered in Israel 700 mikvah baths around Israel. 200 are around Jerusalem. 50 of them are located at the Temple Mount. Right there. And that's right there where we think it happened. And I can take you there if you, if you ever want to go. It's, it's at the southern steps, the southern side of the Temple Mount. And now I do a little bit of math. And that means that at each one of these, they, they were baptizing 60 per mikvah. I can do that. I've probably baptized close to that. I mean, I've done 30 and 40 before. Uh, and in the Jordan River, we've baptized lots and lots of people. And one time I was baptizing and a line formed, you know. And we baptized lots of people that I didn't even know. People I didn't know their languages. They just came. I said, you want to be baptized? Yeah. Okay, we, did, we did baptized them. Okay. But, uh, so this makes sense now. Uh, so let me ask you, have you ever been asked, have you received the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Or maybe, you re- have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Which we know that doesn't appear in Scripture. And we tend to respond of, uh, from our experience or maybe from our tradition. But we need to make sure we look at Scripture. Remember at the outset of the study, I said we're going to be looking. And and, uh, you remember I I gave you the image of a three-legged stool of truth. In the three-legged stool, Scripture is primary. It's not just one of the things. It's not just one of the deals that we look at. Scripture is primary. And, And then we consider tradition and reason and experience. Those are important as well. And some will speak solely from their experience and others from tradition, others from reason. They'll say, it's not reasonable to me. Um, I've talked to people who said, I was raised in a tradition where you had to be baptized in the Holy Spirit by a certain age. Or you, didn't, you weren't any good and you probably weren't saved. 
And so you work on that. You work that up somehow, if, you know, whatever you need to do. Uh, I've talked to others who, who have said, you know, uh, uh, according to my experience, this is what I experienced and this is what I did not experience. So let me pose a statement a little bit differently. If someone says, I had a second experience after I received salvation. The Holy Spirit fell upon me and my heart burst forth with joy and my voice with a language that I did not know. Is it okay to say that? Of course. That's your experience. So, of course it's okay to say that. Now, there are those, there's some around who will say, no, it's not okay to say that. And they'll start telling you why it's not okay to say that. But if this is your experience, then, then this is what you would say. Now, it's important to look at Scripture and try to understand our experiences. Some have tried to argue that this is the experience of none. You can't, you can't do that. And they honestly are the most convoluted arguments uh, because they argue that, well, all the supernatural gifts, they ceased at the end of a certain epoch in time, a certain dispensation, and they ceased after the time of the apostles. They were only for a certain purpose, and that was to, to start everything. And they're called cessationist or cessationist. And it's one of those things that I just never have gotten. Uh, they argue that God cannot work in that way today. Why? doesn't fit into my dispensation. It doesn't, it doesn't fit what the, the system that I have figured out. It's a little bit like the, the box, the religious box that Nicodemus was struggling with. It's like putting God into a religious box. Let me tell you what I understand from Scripture and reason and experience, okay? Um, God can do whatever God wants to do, whenever God wants, in whatever manner he desires, because he is God. <laughs> it's a definition of God. In fact, I think it's kind of a scary place to be to say, well, God, you can't do that. Oh, really? Because you might just get a, I'll show you what I can do. Now, what if one says, because you may have heard this at some point, what if one says, to you. Now, you, you must have the same second experience that I did after you are saved. Uh, you must urgently seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the way I experienced it, which you will know by the evidence of speaking in an unknown language, because that's what happened with me. Is it okay to say that? And I'll just say, well, I mean, you can say whatever you want. But not if you want to be biblical in your testimony and your ministry to others. Baptism with the Holy Spirit was manifested and attested to in a variety of ways in the New Testament. Not always accompanied by uh, uh, speaking in tongues or interpretations or anything like that. We're going to talk more about gifts later in the summer. Here's our problem, and it's kind of a religious problem. In our well-intentioned but frail humanness our human sin. We often want others to experience exactly what we have experienced in the same way and in the same timing. You have to experience what I experienced or, or else, or else what? I mean, and what we fail to see is really important is that Jesus is perfectly capable of baptizing you with 
the Holy Spirit as promised, when he wants, where he wants, in the manner that he pleases. And the Holy Spirit is perfectly capable of giving you the gifts that he wants to give you when and where he chooses, for the purpose he chooses. And so we just need to trust that. So what is the evidence that we have been filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit? And it's an important word because I've seen churches that they said, you can't be a member here unless you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit accompanied by the evidence of fill in the blank, whatever it is, okay? Speaking in tongues or whatever. And so we, we want to understand that. What is the evidence? Are these supernatural gifts the evidence? And after all, why do we need evidence? Why do you need to prove anything to anybody? Because the Bible tells us that he will give us the assurance by the presence of the Spirit. So the evidence biblically is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're going to study that in a few weeks. And Jesus said that. He said you will know them by their fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It doesn't matter what kind of gift you manifest. If it doesn't have that, it's not real. And the gifts of the Spirit are not the evidence of the Holy Spirit. They're tools for use, His use in the body of Christ. And they serve the body of Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit is actually to immerse and coat everything. It's just... I I thought about calling it a lubricant or something like that. I don't know. But Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. And if the fruit isn't there, it's not authentic. He never said you'll know them by their gifts, ever. And the Bible never says that. So have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So there's this one spirit that baptizes us. And Jesus does this. He baptizes us into his body with the Holy Spirit. And it breaks down barriers. I mean, it's amazing what he sees here. These are the hugest barriers of their day. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. I mean, you can fill in the blanks today. The things, are there a few things that divide people? Yeah. Breaks those down. Galatians 3 says it in a, a little bit different way. For in, G, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons, children of God through faith. For as many as you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. We are one in Christ. Say one in Christ. One in Christ. And it's Holy Spirit that does that. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is fundamentally the work of God by which the believing sinner is placed by the Holy Spirit, into the body of Christ at the very moment of conversion. That's fundamentally what it is. But Pastor Jeff, I had a second experience. So did I. (laughs) I mean, I've had several experiences that were manifested in different sorts of ways. And so the, the question might be, will, will I have a second or a third experience? And my, my thought is, I hope so. Uh, because we, how many of you want everything that there is and everything that, that you might need? 
But it's not anything that we press on other people. Believers often experience a second experience, a second blessing. And it doesn't mean they didn't have the Holy Spirit before that. I've talked about this, the idea, well, I got Jesus. And then a few years later, I I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And so, so we want to make sure that we understand that. I've understood it as a releasing of the Holy Spirit that is in me when I surrender to him. How many of you know you need to surrender more? All of us. There's areas of our lives that we need to surrender. There's areas of our lives we've tried to control, we've tried to hang on to, that we need to say, God, not my will, but your will be done, and I release them. And when we get out of the way is when the Spirit is manifest in ways we could never imagine. And I call that a releasing of the Spirit. And that can be a huge, dramatic moment in your life. It really refers to the process and progress we call sanctification. That's the big word for becoming more like Jesus. (laughs) That's the simple way to say it. And it will involve an increasing release of the Holy Spirit in your life as you get out of the way more and more. So what shall we do? I love that question that the crowd asked um, to Peter. What shall we do? So let let me me give some thoughts. If you're not saved... (laughs) You need to repent and be baptized. You need to be baptized with water in the name of of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Come on Monday night if you're not saved. And I pray that you will be born again of the Spirit and be immersed in the Spirit by the baptism that only Jesus can perform. If you are saved, I pray for a deepening of your surrender to the Spirit such that you will see and experience the manifestation of his gifts that that he chooses and the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life more and more. You find, I'm getting along with someone I thought I could never get along with. Why? Because of fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I never thought I could be kind to that person. Never thought I could love that person. And that's Holy Spirit active in you. And if you have drifted from God, there's never been a more urgent time. I mean, I look around in our world and this message tonight, Jesus, you need to be ready. We do not know the time or the hour when we may be called to account. If you've drifted away, uh, we need to recommit our lives to Christ and experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the richness of your word. And I pray uh, now in this time that you would speak to our hearts individually at the point that we need. If there's someone that, that is not saved or they're not certain they are saved, that they would confess their sins to you, that they would offer themselves to you and say, Lord Jesus, I, I want to be saved. Come into me and make me born again. And then, and then make that commitment to be baptized. Maybe there's an area of your life that you know you haven't surrendered. An area, a struggle, a relationship, something that you know you haven't turned over to God. And you would say, Lord, I want to give that to you. And I want you to evidence the fruit of your spirit in me. In that relationship, in that situation, in that part of my life. If you've drifted. Uh, this is a time to say, Lord, I want to be right with you. I want to be straight with you. 
And so I confess my need. I confess my sin before you. Father, I thank you that you are so very patient with us. But we, we sense that the time may be very near and we pray that your, your spirit would invade us, uh, would be upon us in fullness, would even attack us at the point of our need. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.